This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's 2023, a new year and a chance for you lot to try something new. And if getting closer to nature and connecting with the natural world is on your list, then there's something I think you'll need. A pair of binoculars are essential for any nature nerd's day out to make sure you don't miss anything. And Leica's range of kit is, insert chef's kiss right here. Not only are they durable, lightweight, with a great range of optics, and come with a potential finance plan, but they are dead easy to use. To read more about what Leica have to offer for sport optics, visit their website, which is linked in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I'm your host, Ryan Dyson. Thank you very much for clicking play on the pod. Hello, nerds. Welcome to a brand new episode of Into the Wild. I hope your week has been good and drier than mine. Um, as I record this now, on the 10th of January, I spent the entire day outside in torrential rain, walking the dogs um, and seeing... And I'm not hating on these species, but seeing nothing but jackdaws, crows and magpies. That's all I had on this day. It was very wet, very muddy. I'm looking forward to spring coming now, I think. <laughs> it's going to stay this warm. Bring on spring. All right, let's get straight into today's episode. Um, this episode is with someone that uh, is not only a past guest, but is a very good friend of mine. Um, he's been on the show twice before. He helped out with Beyond the Trigger, was very much a... Uh, big part of that um, and has got an incredible book coming out which is about a really interesting topic so I wanted to get him on it is Professor Adam Hart Adam's new book uh, The Deadly Balance which is out in February uh, looks at people's relationship with predators around the world from a culture perspective from a day-to-day living side on side with them and also looks at the western or global north view on nature and conservation and what we expect from people that live directly with the animals that we are trying to save but before we get into the book actually it was lovely to have Adam on the show for another reason which was to talk about his involvement with Beyond the Trigger now you guys have heard me talk about this show uh, about the film that we made um but it was nice to get someone else's perspective that was kind of involved with, you know, he was on the trip with us, he was meeting the people that I met. So it was nice to hear Adam's perspective on this from what it was like uh, being out in Namibia, making the film, what the films ended up being, uh, people's take on the film and all, on all that kind of stuff. So we had a nice good chat about that whole process. Then going into talking about the deadly balance. I've got so much time for Adam Hart. I think he's a lovely man, a knowledgeable man, I think the way he looks at current conservation and some changes that need to happen is very switched on and very smart. And I like it a lot. I'm very happy to say that. Uh, He's a good friend of mine and I'm really excited about this new book. So this episode is quite simply titled The Deadly Balance with Professor Adam Hart. Adam, welcome back to Into the Wild. This feels like I'm not interviewing someone, to be honest. We've spent more time talking in a car in Africa than we have done talking on any form, formal platform. Yeah, I think so. And we've certainly spent a lot of time talking on Zoom of an evening. Um, <laughs> or p- planning, as we like to call it. But Planning slash ranting yeah. slash just having a catch. <laughs> Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I mean we're back in uh, we're back in the swing of it now, beginning of January. So teaching teaching begins next week. So it's all it's all it's all hands on on the deck at the moment, trying to get stuff sorted out. Everyone's a bit bleary from Christmas, so yeah, it's all right. Still bleary? Yeah, they need to sort themselves out. Come on. Yeah, there's a there's a, there's a lot of bleariness about at the moment. I don't think it helps. I'm looking out my window now. This time last year, we were we were looking forward to going to Namibia, 
in a couple of weeks' time. And, uh, we were, weren't we? And I, well, looking forward, we were looking forward to an endless series of tests and paperwork. But, <laughs> but, but looking out the window now, it's uh, grey and dismal and rainy, and I kind of wish yeah. I had a trip to Namibia to look forward to right well, now. Well, but... actually, looking at the date, what is it? The 10th of Jan. So this time last year, we were ourselves about COVID. Yeah. And we're just doing what? like lateral flows every single day. Yeah. But I think I was doing them every few hours at one point. Just, just to keep, just I didn't to leave keep the to... house barely. I was like, stay away from me, everyone. I'm getting on that plane. And then, yeah, and then, we, and then we went to Heathrow and got the, the last minute. Well, it wasn't last minute, was it? It was the day before because of the drama involved in, in, in all the hours oh, and stuff. Yeah, we and had to go there, come back, come back, and then go back. Anxiously wait for the text message, which, which, <laughs> which came through. We're like, yes, we're clear. And even then, and even then, it didn't really feel like it was real, did it? But... No, it didn't. We we went for a whole crate of like drink that night, didn't we? Because we were just sat there waiting. Yeah. We're like, look, if this goes tits up, at least we can get drunk. And we thought, and if it goes all right and we go, at least we can get drunk. Yeah. No, it was. <laughs> we got back from we got back from the airport, and uh, and time flew. And then and then, uh, and then we, by the time the message came through, we were like, yeah, brilliant, we're off. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Anyway, we're all, what we're were we saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome back to the show. I usually get people to introduce who they are and what they do, but you've done that on the show twice before. But just for new listeners, do you want to very quickly just say who you are? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm Adam Hart. I am professor of science communication at the University of Gloucestershire. Um, which is a kind of generic term that covers uh, covers me for doing all kinds of stuff, I suppose. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm an entomologist. I've got kind of several hats. I'm an entomologist, and that's the first time we spoke was actually about mm. it was during lockdown. Social it? insects, about, wasn't it? It was it was about wasps and ants and bees. That's right, mm. social insects. And then um, I've also got quite a big quite a bigger hat on in a way um, these days, which is sort of African conservation and ecology and stuff. So and that's where where obviously our trip down to Namibia kind of uh, originated from. So I do all kinds of stuff involved in around that sort of area. And let's let's ask a generic into the wild question that everyone gets asked. I know you're a nature person. You love your walk. So what's been your biggest nature highlight in the last seven days? I, I saw a, a great spotted woodpecker. I had a good view of one uh, oh, did you? In, in between the showers a couple of days ago, which was lovely, actually. Um, they're such cool birds. And I mean, they're, they're not <laughs> yeah. rare. And actually, you know, in some areas, you a fairly guaranteed sighting, I think, if you if you go to certain areas. But yeah, it was really, really nice to see. And they're just, they're cool. We've got green woodpeckers around here as well that are always... You can tell when spring's here because you, every time you go out, you, you can hear them giving it some, and and every so often you see them doing that lovely, distinctive kind of that flight that flight, flight path. Pattern, uh, yeah. yeah, so it's really um, yeah. So uh, greatest possible woodpecker was my was my highlight. I see the green the green woodpeckers. I see more taken off from the fields than I do about in, about in the trees or anything like that. I always see them taken off. They're they're predominantly ground ground oh, foragers. Yeah, they um they go after ants and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, they're um they're, they're definitely birds of birds of the ground. Whereas great greatest spotted woodpeckers and, and lessers as well, um, virtually the same but smaller. Um, yeah, they spend a lot more time in the trees. Yeah, I so, so I went to an RSPB site in December and I saw a great spotted woodpecker close up. And I just I just like I'd to say, one. Ryan, if I can, um, you've come a long way, haven't you? Since we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've been talking, <laughs> we've been talking about birds. I guess, we've been talking about birds for a couple of minutes now. Oh, and, uh, for f- sake! <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Yes. Do you know what? And it's got to that point where I can't even enjoy enjoying it. Because I've said so much about it that it's like it's like your it's like your your granddad suddenly going vegan like it, it like do you know what I mean it's like oh he's turned <laughs> I can't even enjoy enjoying it that's you see that that should be your your birding slogan <laughs> birding I can't even, even enjoy enjoying, enjoying it, it. <laughs> no I'm not really having fun. <laughs> 
it's very forced fun. Um, let's actually, before we go on to our main topic, I will say this, Beyond the Trigger has been a massive project for Into the Wild, but also like you, you hinted at the beginning, you were part of this, but kind of in a very like part of it, but also not part of it, kind of. It, you had a real weird relationship, if you don't mind me saying, with Beyond the Trigger, because you were kind of our researcher and driver. <laughs> Can I call you driving? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, it was. <laughs> we did three thousand kilometers. I think that counts as driving. <laughs> but like, do you want to say like? So a lot of our listeners know that we've done the film. A lot of our listeners have seen the film and are used to me talking about it. But they've not really heard anyone else that was part of it talk about the film. So what was it like for you to go out there and because you had never done anything like that before, had you? Yeah, no, I mean, I'd, I'd gone and interviewed people for... Um, so I, d- I did a programme for Radio 4 back in 2015, which was just just after Cecil was shot, basically, and all the news came up. Hmm. And it was a big thing. And, and you know, I'd been going to Africa for several years before that and, and had been quite involved in the kind of, you know, academic side of, you know, reviewing trophy hunting and stuff like that. So it, it, was, it was really interesting to see uh, all of the kind of media talk that was going hmm. on and, and, you know, particularly the negative side of it, and there's a lot of misinformation. So I, I emailed a, a producer at the BBC that I'd done stuff with for Radio 4 and just said, look, you know, this story's coming out, but basically most of what, what's coming out is um, yeah. yeah, we need we need to go and tell the actual story. It's much more complex. You know, this is a great chance to do that. And they about 15 minutes later, they replied going, yes, that's fine. That's the, we've, the commissioner's... Jesus. <laughs> yes, apparently the first, it may have been less than 15 minutes. Um, it was the fastest turnaround ever, apparently. So yeah, we, I went down to South Africa and then interviewed quite a few people there and then did some down-the-line stuff with... Um, people in, in Zimbabwe and stuff to talk about mm. it. So I'd done some of that and then obviously I'd spent quite a bit of time in South Africa the, the year before, no, ugh, pre-COVID. God, it would have been, yeah, 2019. Jesus, too. Um, yeah. I went down to Namibia and Botswana and, and that was a sort of separate project, but we were talking to people down there as well. So I'd, I'd, I'd done some of that, but never quite so, I guess, n- not, not going around specifically talking to communities about it and particularly talking mm. to community leaders and stuff in the field about it rather than sort of over email and things. So no, it was a real... I mean that it was fantastic. Yeah, it was a great. It was an epic trip. It, wasn't it? it was, it was and, absolutely insane. And it was. I mean, I, I've used the example quite frequently. In fact, I talk about it in the book. That um, you know, the, the big the big thing about conservation is we all think it's about animals, and and actually, it's not really. It's about habitat and plants. But because yeah. you know, <laughs> without that, nothing else is there. But actually, it's not even about that. Um, it's really about people. Um, mm. And you know, I think when when we were driving around with Maxie, there was. I mean, we drove around with her for. I mean, we weren't with her for the the full time, despite what um, some people might. Might suggest we were only there with her for a few days at the beginning. I'm asking you about at, that in a at the beginning. Um, but you know, we, we talked. We talked about. I mean, so much. There was that day you yeah. were driving around with um, with Simpson, and I was in the car with Maxie, mm. and we we talked nonstop. You know, day after day, really. And we talked about women's rights and about transport and about electricity and solar power. And we talked about post-apartheid politics and we talked about economics and microeconomics and we talked about business loans. <laughs> we, we, we talked about fuel prices. We talked about the diamond industry. I mean, honest to God, we talked about so much and we were never not talking about conservation. But the only time we yeah. talked about animals was when we saw one out, out of the window. It'd be like, oh, cool, there's some giraffes. right? And then we talk about giraffes yeah. for a bit. But, but then we were right... We were we were right back on the issues of like road grading and access for for communities and mm. and you know uh, the problems of, of you know human wildlife conflict. But again, not really focusing on the animals. It's like, well, you know, someone's got their their pump taken out by an elephant. You know, what do they yeah. do? What's the? F- I, I was really interested in the mechanics of it. Right, like, how mm. do you go from being, if you like, a wronged individual to to being compensated? What's the route through? How does that work? And you know, yeah. so we're talking about all this stuff and. And yeah, occasionally we'd see an animal and talk about it. But but most of the time we were talking about conservation without talking about animals. And I think that's something that was really highlighted 
Okay, it's something I knew on that you know, before that mm. trip, if you like. But you, you do think sometimes that really underlines something, and and for me that that was that was the thing that was really underlined, just how central that is to to the whole thing. That was the same as me and Simpson and Oscar in the car. We spoke that entire time, and apart from when we were recording, we weren't really talking about wildlife. We were talking about cultures, yeah. perceptions, um, relationships between people and, and between the different um, tribes and stuff like that and how they differ with, yeah. specifically with the rhino and stuff. And it's, you know, the whole time we were talking about, until we had to record and we had to talk about, you know, actual statistics <laughs> for information. Yeah. But um, it was very similar. And I think that was one of the takeaways from me is actually, yeah, you 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 can learn just as much about talking with uh, people, uh, about people. But since the film's been made then let me ask you this because people have only heard from me on this what's been your view on the take of the film well i mean i i went to the the screening um which was of course the the, the day that the queen died so we always know when the screening <laughs> we, we always know where the queen died because it was the day of the screening that's the right yeah, way around everyone says that yeah that's the right <laughs> way around um but you know it was it was i, I was sort of stood at the back i can remember because there were no seats mm. basically i mean yes, it yes, was so full. full wasn't it and, and there were those dodgy seats we had to get rid of and there is other <laughs> there is other things but yeah so i was stood at the back and i, I was really i had to, you know i've seen a film so i was more watching the, the people and kind of mm. trying to pick up on that and it was it was fantastic actually because everyone was so engaged with it like these days you're kind of used to watching stuff and you know people yeah. got their phones out and and that's fine, right? I do this. You know, I can sit here being sniffy yeah. about it, right? I sit and watch it, and I'm IMD being trivia about the film, but rather than watching the <laughs> film, right? They're, yeah. Oh, who's that guy? Oh, yeah, he was a really obscure person <laughs> in something else that I didn't watch properly. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no one was doing that, and and I mm. don't think that was out of you know respect or anything. Else. I think it was because they were watching the film and they were really yeah. engaged with it. And there were there were moments when, you know, there was some cheering and like like you know somebody. The stuff would happen on the screen, and there was a real crowd reaction, which I wasn't expecting because yeah. it's not. Oh, yeah, that that you know, made me go goosebumps. Yeah, you know, in a sense, it wasn't it wasn't a feature film or something where where there were deliberate yeah. moments of tension built in or anything, but it but it did. And and then at the end, you know, with with the chat with Maxi and stuff, people were yeah, people were cheering really like there was mm -hmm. a genuine sense of 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 love really in, yeah. in the room, wasn't there? As cheesy as it sounds, it's true. It's true. Yeah, and 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 it really was. surprised me because you know I was talking to a lot of people before and after, and, and none of the people there were. You know, most people there didn't really know very much about the topic at all, and what they did know was largely gleaned from the British press, which is generally, well, almost exclusively very negative and often quite ill-informed, mm. but nonetheless a very negative thing. So a lot of people went into it very, very much with that attitude, and they came out of it. I, I wouldn't say that you know, no, no one was seeking, like you said at the beginning, no one's seeking to convert anyone. But let's just yeah. look at a few. Let's just look at a few instances where people actually do benefit and just make this a more open discussion. And, mm. you know, talking to people afterwards, that that had been achieved. People were talking about it and they were wanting to find out more. And, yeah, that was a real – That I mean, that was the aim, right? If if we'd have – when we started to – I mean, I can remember the first time we talked about this, I was actually yeah. with my kids in a playground in Gloucester. Um, <laughs> and, and I was sort of speaking on the phone whilst, whilst trying to stop, you know, one of them killing the other one or whatever, you know. It's like – but, but I can remember sort of saying there's so much to this. There's so many layers to this. Mm. Yeah, it's really complex. And and then, you know, that's when, when we got the, um, you know, John and Laura and, and Maxie on that, you know, you had them on that, that first podcast. And it was just, yeah. you know, that started to unpack some of it. But I think if at that point, when we first sort of started thinking about this idea of doing a film, if if we could have fast forwarded it, you know, to the point at the end where the film we was, wouldn't we, we, we wouldn't have believed that. And I mean, you know, no. he's not here now, but he'll be listening to this and, and presumably editing it in some way. You know, Oscar did uh, <laughs> just a, I mean, a, a, hey. a, 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 I mean honestly, scene. a breathtaking job, frankly. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was phenomenal. I think, 
Let's actually, he's going to hate, he's going to be cringing the whole way through this, but I'm actually, for the, I don't think I've done this properly or done it enough justice, the work Oscar did on Beyond the Tree. Yeah, I mean, it is Every fantastic. little segment he presented and we transferred to us or sent to us or dropboxed us, boxed us, we were like, oh my God. Like we weren't, I don't think, I, I was not expecting it. I remember no. spending that weekend in Bristol with him, just watching it going, I can't believe what you've done. Like you've, you've never done this. And you told me it was above your pay grade. It, it looked and, and sounded that, phenomenal. And, and the storytelling, yeah. right? The, I mean, there's a million ways to tell a story, right? But, mm. but the way that, and many of them are good and many of them are not so good, but the way that he chose to do it was, was one was of the good. very best ways of doing it. And it just, it worked brilliantly. And it, yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, hats off to him, really, because I think, I mean, our original plan, I mean, our original plan was basically me and you. I was like, well, I'll drive us around, and then we'll get there, and I'll set up like I'll a... I'll take a recording. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take some sound equipment. You know, I've got a microphone and stuff that I use for doing radio, so we'll take that with us. And, oh. and then we've got phones, and I can borrow a video camera, and we'll stick it on a tripod, and, you know, it, it'll be testimonial, basically, with a few bits to camera badly edited in between. And we would have produced a film, but... Something would have happened. It would have been awful, wouldn't it? I mean, really. I wonder. I would love. To, I would love to go down the alternative reality and see what that ended <laughs> yeah. up as. Oh, yeah, Can it you would have imagine? been. I don't think it would have been a pub screening in London with a full house and people whooping and cheering. No. I think it would have been a. a, a it's on YouTube Mum, and you can look at it if you want. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been mum and dad round for a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I think um, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, that 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 was a really phenomenal thing, actually. Yeah, um, and it really brought home. The lands, you know, the landscape, because I, I, you know, one of the things that I think we forget about, I mean, again, we're talking about conservation is about not about the animals always, it's about people, it's about habitat. Mm. But actually, one of the biggest challenges, I think, obstacles is for people to understand the scale of, of yeah. things that we're dealing with. That was you know? insane. I mean, I, yeah, I, I couldn't, I could not, I still just, can't grasp it. It's a that. vast, it's a, these are vast areas. Yeah. I'm talking to someone earlier about a project in Zimbabwe that I'm, I'm uh, involved with and, and you know, they, it's like 450 square miles or something and it's quite small. <laughs> it's, it's quite a small patch of land. But you, And you look at it on the map and it's like, yeah, yeah it's, and you zoom out and compared to Zimbabwe, it really is quite small. But then you zoom in and compared to, you know, <laughs> what we're used to, it's really quite a big yeah. patch of land. And, and, mm. and you go to Namibia and you're just driving for hours and hours and, and, and you're sort of, I remember sitting up on, um, up on the balcony there of... Um, of sort of Helmut and Cindy's place, and it's like sort of, oh, Lodge, you know, yeah. effectively everywhere the light touches was the kind of, was yeah, the kind of vibe, a- the kind of vibe, and you realise just how far away those horizons are. And again, you know, these are, the, the, you know, even those are small patches. So I think trying to get that scale of the landscape and just how, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but how monotonous <laughs> at times no, that, that landscape. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. vast, and, and it's just vast and the same. Yeah. And when you go up into the, you know, we, we, we were lucky, right? We went out into the desert regions and stuff, and mm. I mean that is just, that is not the same, right? That is an absolutely stunning landscape. Yeah. But until you're in there, it's very easy to sort of not realise that when you're talking about that sort of land, you really are talking about a very dry. <laughs> it's very. It seems <laughs> obvious, right? It's an incredibly arid and incredibly hungry landscape and so when you hear people sort of saying oh and we drove through and we only saw like three springbok and a giraffe there's hardly any wildlife there and it's like well what did you expect so there's a lot i think actually you can't take the world on a field course you know that's that, that's no. true enough and you can't take but the world on a trip try. but you can try through a film and i think <laughs> i think that yeah to bring this back now to what we were talking about i think you know oscar did a great job at actually conveying some mm-hmm. of that as well because it, it's an important yeah, yeah. It's an important part of the big picture. 
And I will remind people, it's probably a very good time to say that it is available on YouTube. Just yeah. search Beyond the Trigger on YouTube or Into the Wild Beyond the Trigger and it'll be there. Uh, and here's to the next project. Yeah, and I mean, I would say as well, look, if you've seen it, I, I'll talk directly to your listeners now. If you've, if you've, <laughs> yeah. if you've already watched it, um, it's worth, it's, it is actually worth a rewatch. And I say that as somebody that, that, that knew what was in it, if you like. I, I, I yeah. watched it again very recently, um, not that long ago at all. Like maybe last week, it was towards the back end of the, the Christmas mm. break. I just uh, it was after I think after you pinged a message over to say how many people had viewed it and stuff and I ended up going there and, and I thought uh, before you know it you're watching it again it yeah. is yeah it is a really it's a you, you should feel very proud about about it I think it's um it's a really really good it's a really good piece of work and it's an important piece of work because I think it it opens people's minds without you know without it's not trying to do anything else. It's, you know. Well, this is the thing. This is what I said to people, right? When, when we had that, the only tiny minute bit of criticism we had, and I said this on the last episode of the year, like in 2022, was people saying that, like, even not believing people or trying to say that we had an agenda, there was a bias. And I cannot stress enough we didn't because the whole way through, we didn't have a f***ing clue what we were doing. Like, we didn't, we didn't know what it was going to be. We didn't know who we were talking. We, uh, like, I, the Oscars never made a film before. I've never made a film before. I've never interviewed and I cannot stress enough how we didn't have a some sort of bias plan because we weren't that organized. No, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I always find it strange because um usually with those types of criticisms what you're seeing is a projection, right? It's a mirror. Yeah. People yeah. think well this is how I would have done it and so that's obviously what they did. And no, I mean um and the other thing that I mean the other criticism that people level which is would be a valid criticism if what you were planning on doing was presenting a uh, an extraordinarily balanced overview of the entire situation, but that wasn't what you were doing. You were explicitly mm. going down to talk to people who benefited from trophy hunting and to to explore their stories. Right? You weren't making an eight-hour piece, painstakingly um, going through <laughs> and finding paid for that. And so people go, well, there's some communities that don't, and there's some communities that don't like it. And it's like, yeah, great. Go and yeah. you, you know, you go and speak to them. You know, there's plenty of that messaging going through. <laughs> yeah. I'm over here at the moment. Yeah, it's like you know, you, you were talking. So I think that. I, and I think you know some some academics, and we we, we don't need to um, to mention them, but some academics on Twitter who were uh, vocal about that, you know, they don't they, they either were deliberately not understanding or not bothering to try to understand what you were trying to do. And my strong suspicion is that they probably hadn't watched the film either. Yeah, because if they had watched the film, um, it's pretty clear what you were trying to do. And effectively, what they were doing and what others were doing was calling the people who were on there and the people you interviewed and stuff liars, which is a kind of... Well, interestingly, I actually spoke to some of the people that were in the film about that and how they felt about it. So unfortunately, I didn't do it on record. We, yeah. we agreed not to, but it was interesting to hear their thoughts on that. Yeah. There was a lot of, lots of eye rolls around the room. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and, and it's a shame, but it's inevitable with a controversial topic um, that is mm. highly emotive. It's inevitable that you're going to stir those emotions. And, and I think in a way that's that's a good sign. I mean, let's be honest, if you'd have made me on the trigger and it came out and everyone was just like shrugging their shoulders and walking off, you know, that's not really... <laughs> that's, that either, it's not one you want. It either didn't need to be made or you made it badly. It's one or the other, right? Yeah, I do want so. to make Taken 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a non-event yeah <laughs> um anyway let's not talk about beyond the trigger anymore thank you for giving your insights though because it's nice to talk to someone that was kind of involved with the project and you helped massively um with contacts and just kind of like you know all that kind of stuff and research and driving of course well in fact it's some pretty horrendous conditions actually um which were only surpassed by the conditions i was driving in in south africa in november so yeah <laughs> Just keeps getting it just keeps getting worse for me now. Oh but yeah, sorry. The, the, Adam is the most confident driver I have ever. I would be in the car with you and feel absolutely safe until there is a sudden downpour of rain and you were like, 
I don't know what I've never been in this. Yeah, before. this is this is horrendous rain. Yeah. We'll just put. Like, should we just pull, pull over? over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and hope for the best. It's like it's like when the windscreen wipers are thrashing that fast, and you literally yeah. can't see the end of the bonnet. I, I think that's just time to stop, isn't it? There's nothing I'll to be stop. gained we'll here. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> but let's. We're going to talk about. I don't want to sound too much like a chat show host, but we're going to talk about your new book coming out. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got a book, um, purely because the topic is sick so first of all i'm going to get you to introduce tell us about what the book's called when like what is the vibe of this so i actually have a copy here i got sent a copy just before christmas it's not um it's it's um yeah it's out in february the 2nd it's called the deadly balance predators and people in a crowded world and and i I mean i'll talk about the evolution of the book so originally started Mm. i was kind of interested in the fact that people people get eaten by animals right and this is not an uncommon thing and and i think people think it's uncommon because it doesn't happen in the uk very very much um (laughs) uh, people are killed in predatory interactions very occasionally there was a snake for example that strangled someone um and there's or crushed someone and there seems no reason to imagine they weren't going to attempt to eat them it was a burmese python so yeah but but we, we we don't live with a dangerous fauna right but around the world they do and there's things like crocodiles and lions and tigers and leopards and so on that that do um, attack and, and kill us. So I became interested in that. And, and originally I was sort of thinking of writing a book called you know, Eaton, basically. And the idea was to explore <laughs> sort of chapter by chapter, you know, different interactions. Mm. But first of all, there's kind of a book that's been done that's a little bit similar to that anyway. But the other thing was I realised when I started to map this out, I'm not partic- it, it wasn't that that I was interested in, right? The, you know, the grisly side of it doesn't really interest me. What, what I was interested in was the interactions between humans and wildlife that, that is dangerous mm. and how that relates directly to conservation. Because... When you think about it, the big charismatic animals that we often want to save, things like lions and tigers and polar bears and stuff, actually are an existential risk for people that live alongside them. And you frequently see on things like social media and other media that those risks completely downplayed. Um, And there'll always be, oh, very few people get eaten by lions. And it's like, well, it depends on your numbers of very few. I mean, several hundred a year doesn't seem that few. Um, Oh, hardly anyone's attacked by by tigers and leopards. not according to the constant WhatsApp messages I get from India with people's remains wrapped up in tea towels um, that just been oh, killed Jesus by a lion, Christ. right? Or just been killed by a tiger, actually lions as well, but just been killed by a tiger or eaten by a leopard. You know, these things are happening. Um, crocodiles, mm. uh, there's a, a, a database, a croc bite that you can go onto, and it's, you know, it just... Rec- crocodile seems like an obvious It one. just records, I mean, in the Nile crocodiles, um, saltwater crocodiles, and to a lesser extent, mugger crocodiles in India, they... they and that's only because they're rarer. Um, they take out lots of people. You think of saltwater crocodiles, right? You're thinking of Australia and Crocodile Dundee. Not so. Most of those attacks are up in Indonesia and, and India. And then you start exploring it and you realise that when they are reported these things in the press, it's because, bluntly, some white person has been attacked, right? There's a guy, a mm. Dutch researcher, got attacked by a lion in Botswana, right? It, it was a, some emaciated lion. It got into his tent. He got injured and people fought it off and people were throwing dung at it and stuff. And eventually it, it chased off. And the, the guy went to hospital. He was pretty badly mauled up, but he lived, right? Front page news across the world. It's actually a big story. But the guy lived. <laughs> and then, and then you, and then you look, and it's like uh, some uh, almost in the same week, I think it was, a, a Maasai guy got killed by a lion and eaten in Kenya, and it's only reported, as far as I could tell, in the Irish Times, and the guy's not even named. And and you oh see this, God. you see this kind of issue with the fact that basically, I mean, when people say yeah. it doesn't happen very often, what they mean is it doesn't affect them because it's somebody that's different from them over there, and mm. you know that that sort of winds me up for one but also it's not good for you know wider conservation goals right because it's a lack of empathy it's a lack of respect you're not going to fix the problem and then people sort of tear their hair out and go oh my god you know all these villages in india have just beaten a leopard to death with 
with with with sticks you know oh what's going on these people are dreadful and it's like whoa hang on <laughs> that, yeah. that leopard has just killed and eaten someone's kid yeah. right yeah. and they've got it cornered what are you going to do give it a stern talking to no no and like yeah i think around here like it's quite good at the moment it's completely flooded around here I've got to, i'm fine but the fields around are all there you know ditches everywhere if we had crocodiles in this country this area would be uh, unbelievable for them how long do you think it would take your average dog walkers around Tewksbury mm-hmm. to, to revolt and kill every crocodile in the area yeah, and, uh, exactly. you know and yet and yet we, we expect people to live alongside these things so the book sort of morphed from this kind of like oh look there's a bunch of stuff that kill us into into a, a sort of a kind of exploration really of how we live alongside these predators, what, you know, what other conservation problems, what are the success stories, how does it work? So each chapter is kind of, there's lions, there's tigers, there's the other cats, you know, things like cougars and, and leopards. And, and again, looking at the, the differences in narratives, you want to find stories of bikers being attacked, you know, people being stalked by a cougar in California becomes this massive clickbait all around the world. Yeah, it's a stalk. They weren't, they weren't even attacked, right? <laughs> there was a, there's a picture of some guy who's shooting at a cougar. He's got a handgun and he's, he's trying, to, trying to stop it from a it's coming towards him and he puts a few shots over it and eventually this thing goes and it's like a viral hit. Right? You know, he wasn't even attacked and yet and yet every day pretty much seemingly, certainly weekly, you know, people are, are attacked and killed by these things around the world and, and we we don't realise it. So, you know, how can we how can we sort of get around those narratives? So each each of the, the chapters is based around that. We talk about wolves, which obviously are I mean, occup- God, that must have been a- occupy a unique uh, place in, in human psyche, right? The wilderness kind of beacons. Uh, wolves are monstrously controversial, right? No matter what you say about wolves, it's, con- it's controversial. Even just deciding what, you know, there's so many subspecies or not, you know, it's like you've you got, no, you got, no, you got no handle on these things at all. Your dogs generally, like dingoes, for example, like there's nothing about them that's not controversial in Australia. Are they a pet? Are they not a pet? Are they even a dog? Are they a native species? Well, you know, it's like even before you get into the idea of do they attack and kill people, and, you know, there's good evidence that they have, particularly for a child, but it's not a common event. But even if, if, before you get into that, everything about them seems controversial. So, you know, these predators occupy a really special place, I think. That's what I like about a wolf, though, because wolf... <laughs> I like the controversy in a wolf yeah. because I, I like to be able to go on Twitter and just say something about yeah. a wolf. I could just say something like, wolves eat livestock, and then just log yeah. off Twitter and wait for this barricade of white man discussion that will just uh, follow on my Twitter. Yeah. Well, wolves eat, or, or wolves don't eat livestock. or And the same reaction. Wolves are great, aren't they? Or, or, or wolves, you know. yeah. No, no, you, you have no chance. You have no chance at all. And then, and then you've got sort of what, what I call in the book a poor man's wolf, um, the coyote. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah. you've, got, you've got like the, the canids actually are a really interesting group. They, they seem to just court controversy. And I, I, I mean, you know, digging into it a little bit we've got all the kind of the sort of psychology and social history mm. of wolves and, and our culture and, and all of that sort of stuff and then you know that's linked in other areas to other species so yeah it was a real kind of, you know explore all that sort of stuff and then they, you know, they talk about crocodiles which is a you know big issue um what else have we got in there bears they, they get a chapter to themselves and then um things like um mm. big snakes eagles are interesting eagles yeah so there's there's a there are a few large eagle species and um, i think there's five or six of them so there's the white-tailed eagle, the Philippine eagle, the Marshall eagle, the harpy eagle, the crowned eagle that are you know, technically big enough to take a child. Jesus. There is definitely some evidence that, that such things have happened. I managed to dig out a few stories from Ethiopia of uh, what I think was a crowned eagle that, that attacked, um, in a predatory interaction, attacked someone. Um, and there's a, there's a few sort of archaeological evidences. And so the e- eagles are kind of interesting. Yeah, big, <laughs> big eagles. Um, snakes, <laughs> you know, there are a few species of snakes, the constrictors, there's an anaconda, the Burmese python, the uh, reticulated python and the African rock python that are big enough 
to, to tank people. And, and what's interesting is that, I mean, there's a, a group of people that live in the Philippines, for instance, the, the Ata people, and uh, someone did a, a study of them in the 1960s in that very, we'll go and study this sort of, you yeah. know, that, that very kind <laughs> very, of... Uh, very 1960s uh, way. Paternal, you know, sort of way of doing things. And uh, it turned out that something like 25% of them had had experienced predatory attacks by, by pythons in the forest. They're very small people. Their average height's like four foot ten or something. Um, and Jesus. they are they are within the prey spectrum of these of these animals. You know they'll they'll tank sixty five kilogram pigs. So a forty five kilogram person is is well within their is also taken is well yeah. within their their, I mean, their that's means. Terrifying. So this so you know again these things are kind of interesting to dig into um, from a biological perspective, but also you know they start to they start to sort of lean into this fact that there's almost two types of people in the world. There's people that live far away that want wildlife, and then there's people that live among the wildlife. And that it's not that they don't want the wildlife, but they also have to live with the everyday consequences of it. I mean, you've you, you, you talked to people down in Namibia. I've seen exactly that, yeah, about I've seen this, people you know? and talked to them. I mean, yeah, le yeah. leopards particularly are, are problematic. Um, they, they frequently engage in what's called surplus killing as well, which is you know, fox and a hen house syndrome. So if a leopard gets into a kraal of mm. goats, I mean, lions will do it too, but leopards are quite well known for it and they'll just, they'll kill lots, you know, 50 or 60 and then eat one or whatever. Um, that's a huge loss. That's the other thing that I talk about quite a bit in here is that, you know, like livestock losses, for instance, you can look across a population of people and you can go, listen, yeah, like, you know, Lions only take 1% of livestock, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, 1%. But it's not the way it works. It mm. means that some people will lose all their livestock and other people won't. You know, that's highly problematic when your wealth and your prosperity and your health and your existence is tied to that. Um, you know, hyenas are an interesting one as well. That hyena, Hyenas are great. And in fact, I mean, we're you know, talking about sort of doing more beyond the triggers and things and human-wildlife conflict. Yeah. I think... Yeah, hyenas could be a really interesting one because I'm scared to do hyenas though. They, they, You've told me some they, stories. They do they do some really there's some really interesting interactions between us and predators. So and hyenas are one of them. So because hyenas eat they they, they eat carcasses. Um and they will eat uh carcasses of livestock, for example, that are diseased or, or whatever. And by doing that, they're just clearing them up. And then someone did a calculation in a part of Ethiopia that sort of worked out how many human lives have been saved and, and what the cash value of of, of sort of invets in saved vet bills from hyenas like chewing up anthrax riddled, you know, cattle and stuff like that. And there's really interesting cultural um things. So hyenas are tolerated in certain areas of, of Ethiopia where you think, well why? Why are they tolerated? Because they they take they tank people, they will attack people and so on. And the reason why is because they um, tank out herbivores, like small dick dicks and stuff like that, because they'll hunt in fields of cat, um, K-H-A-T, the, 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 the crop that becomes the, the yeah. drug. Um, you know, cat, and that's a cash crop. So by doing that, oh, you know, so there's these subtle yeah. kind of things. I mean, it, cougars Prey are... Prey control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cougars are really cool. I mean, there's great... Great research that's been done in, in, in North America about how many people's lives have been saved by them, which is a really weird thing. People go, how does that work? Well, they, they hunt deer, and deer are a major cause of road traffic accidents in, in more rural areas. And you can start to calculate, you know, all of the, you can model all this stuff, and you There's can kind of, you, you, you can work out, you, you can work out yeah. what, you know, what, how many road traffic accidents have likely been, 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 you know, stopped, if you like, by having, by having these, these animals present. So there's some really interesting, Mm. subtle relationships that we have with them but you know fundamentally we also have to accept the fact that they're dangerous and I, I, would you you know would you want to walk to school every day knowing that 
the animals any <laughs> these animals will uh, yeah and and many of them will will hunt us as as prey um you know lions not all lions will not every you know I'm not painting them all as sort of you know but we are particularly smaller individuals particularly children are well within the prey spectrum of of a large you know reasonable number of of animals yeah it's it's terrifying when you start thinking about it like that because i mean even in my very short time in namibia when you're driving through like you know the semi-desert and stuff and you get out and you know you, you kind of look each way and people go oh be careful here because we're in a dry riverbed so look out for footprints or look out in yeah. trees in leopard territory and you just i don't know as, as a, a a British Londoner, especially, you kind of get out and go, yeah. And then when you're out there, you're like, wait a minute, it feels like you've stepped into, mm. you know, very. This is a very English mindset, but it feels like you've stepped into an enclosure that you just really need to look around because they are out there. Yeah, and it just is. It, it's a very like you have to have eyes in your back of your head kind of thing. And I remember you, you, you and Maxie telling me as well, like, oh, I'm going for a wee over here, but and you two going, all right, watch out for snakes above you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 not it's not walking around. Well, I don't know. It's going to say it's not walking around a London park, but there's lots of other things you've got to look out for there, right? It's a di- <laughs> different different type of danger, right? But there's different things in trees. Yeah, it's a di- it's a different type of hazard. But but no, and you know these these things are very real. But at the same time, it's not it's not like you exist in these areas. You're going to get eaten by a lion, right? It's again, it's a small percentage. But what what's interesting about that is local people's perception. Um, so there were some studies done in Tanzania, for example, where people's fear of being attacked was far, far higher than the, the, the reality of it. And, you know, you can sit and sort of, I, I mean, I talk about this in the book, actually, you know, you read the discussion of the paper and it's all about all these sort of psychological features and numbers mm. and statistics. But, but what's not pulled out so much is that something like 60% of people are living in potentially mortal fear in a very long, you know, all the time that they may get attacked by a predator and that's an incredibly debilitating thing to to live under and and you know that that was really interesting to me as well you know the fact that and, and of course it varies it varies with the predator it varies with people it varies with culture you know one solution over yeah. here doesn't work next week over there you know all of this stuff is hugely variable so you know a challenge for me was to really pick out some interesting kind of things to sort of make the point without getting too bogged down into a sort of <laughs> yeah, to have it, it's a very a, a sort of like, monstrous academic <laughs> review of, of of all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my my kind of uh, my sort of message at the end, really, like, I guess, is that we need to start having a bit more empathy with people on the ground, mm. and we need to listen to the right people, and and we need to stop thinking that you know, conservation is something that is done to somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. that that kind of parachute, you know, white savior fortress conservation kind of model. Isn't isn't the way it's going to work for many parts of the world, and it's not the way we want it to work for many parts of the world. You know, it's if we want to keep wild places, we have to understand that many of them aren't wild in the sense of people don't live there. Um, mm. They're wild in the sense that you wouldn't want to wander around <laughs> without knowing what you're doing. Um, yeah. But but yeah, so it's it's kind of yeah, it's bringing it's bringing together those features in a sort of way that. Tries to, and I get off on a few little rants in there about different aspects of modern conservation and stuff and bring people up to speed a little bit about how some of these things work. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. 
By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. So, so are there, is there an area, I don't know if this, if there is an answer, it might be dependent on species, it might depend on time of year and stuff like that, but is there areas specifically that have a lot of this kind of, I don't know, when I say conflicts, I really mean on any level, I'm not just talking about predation on people, but, you know, just impacts on lives. Is there yeah. specific areas of the world that really kind of suffers a lot from this? Well, there's lots of places in Southern Africa that, that spring to mind straight away because that tends to be our focus and, um, you know, bits of, parts of Mozambique um, have, High, high levels of this and, and you know, areas where there's lots of elephants, actually, which I don't really talk about in the book because they're not predating us, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but they are, a, you know, they, they are a, a big feature of, of human-wildlife conflict. But the, the, the place that really comes out, and it's perhaps a surprise, is India. Um, India is, is really? the, the, I mean, because you've got tigers on the increase and a very different ecology now from when they were mm. in far higher numbers, but much more people, bad Bad grammar. Uh, more people uh, <laughs> in, in India. Uh, the tigers are uh, concentrated in smaller patches of land. You've got very different dynamics in terms of, of tigers and people. I mean, at, you know, back in the day, if you like, tigers were hunted, which, I mean, of course, was one of the main reasons why they, they <laughs> numbers would decrease. Um, but, it, but it did mean that, that tigers tended to be much more wary of people, but also people tended to be much more wary of tigers because they were grown up in an area where tigers were, whereas now yeah. you've got a lot of people that perhaps are less used to tigers being around. They've, they've really rallied over the last decade or so. So there's, there's, there's that. Leopards are becoming increasingly a problem in urban areas or peri-urban, you know, suburban mm. areas because they're incredibly versatile animals and they love eating dogs. It's an absolute known fact of leopards. Throughout their range, they are partial to eating dogs. Um, wow. They'll eat dogs in Africa, they'll eat dogs in India, and there's a lot of feral dogs. And well, <laughs> so here, talking about controversy around dogs, what do we call them? Uh, they're not feral, many of them, because they were born... Outside of human They're control, but dogs, some. Are they? Of, so, well, yeah. I mean, that's as good a that that is as good a definition as yeah. any. Um, dogs under. I, I think I call them something like dogs under no meaningful human control. Um, but that doesn't mean that people aren't occasionally feeding them or whatever. Yeah. But I think we call them very cute little boys and girls. Free, yeah, free roaming dogs is another another phrase that people use. Um, but it provides a food source for these leopards. So leopards are coming mm-hmm. in and they're, and they're they're causing. I mean, they're eating people. They're hunting and eating people, yeah. particularly children, um, women as well. Um, they generally are quite selective. And uh, larger people who typically tend to be men maybe are, are, are sort of less prone in certain areas. But in some areas, they're more prone because they're more likely to be in the environment where these animals are. So it's yeah. all very... Um, so you've got that. You've got crocodiles in some areas of India too. Um, you've got then elephants and other um, things which aren't predating but causing those, yeah. for us. And then you've you've also got an animal which um, called the sloth bear, which is um, oh again, yes. pro- probably I mean yeah, it's not really trying to predate us, but they do attack people, and there are quite a lot of attacks from sloth bear, and, and they're usually pretty brutal. Um, they've got massive claws; they're basically um, adaptive to tearing open termites' nests, and they'll slash at people. And I I saw I mean I I deleted it immediately. I got sent an image from um, a guy in India who who keeps me updated with this stuff, and honest to God, I, I once seen never. Um, Unseen. Never unseen. Oh, Jesus. And the worst thing about that was that the guy had actually was still alive and had apparently recovered. Um, I wasn't interested in seeing uh, any more images, but it was horrendous. And and you realise that... that was a sloth bear? Yeah, that had basically... You know, we don't need to go into it. Um, uh, and then, you know, people are attacked by wild boar as well, which is an interesting one. Um, That's another so there's... one. That's another one to tweet about yeah. and then walk yeah. away. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, wild boar, yeah. <laughs> so, so, again, it's, it's that kind of realisation, I think, that, you know, 
I, I'm not trying in any way to like make these animals out to be these sort of oh, the villains. No, right. But we have to understand that nature is yeah. not. You know, you hear a lot of people go, "Oh, you know, you just leave them alone. They leave you alone." Mm. <laughs> but, you know, not so much. Um, so you know, maybe a lot of the time, but maybe maybe you get it wrong once. Um, and and then you'll hear people saying ridiculous things like these three kids were killed in Tanzania, or two of them were killed and eaten in front of the other one. Or I can't remember the details now, but it, it was a terrible a terrible thing. And immediately on social media, you see people piling into things like, well, they shouldn't have been there. Oh, I and you're like, that. you're like, whoa, hang on a minute. This is like pretty close to where we originated as a species. <laughs> if we should be anywhere on the planet, then, <laughs> then that's, that's where we where should we be. Should be. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have lived and evolved alongside these organisms for a very long time and for all of our, essentially all of our you know, history. So mm. that is a very weak argument. Um, and then you'll, see people, you'll hear people saying, I mean, what were they doing? They were kids. Where were their parents? Why were they out? It's like, well, hang on a minute. Uh, you know, let, let, let's cast back to the 1960s when people used to let their kids roam the streets here and occasionally they'd get abducted and stuff. Yeah. You never heard people weighing in, you know, you didn't hear people in Kenya weighing in going, well, what were they doing? You know, it's, it's, it's this ridiculous lack of empathy and lack of understanding about how other people live and, and how differently other people live and, and just this, I don't know, othering of people in order to somehow let animals off the hook because and what that does is immediately conveys the impression to people in other places that you care more about the animals than you do care about mm. people and the reason why that image is conveyed and that impression is conveyed is because i think for many people it's true <laughs> i think for many people they value they value the life of a lion for example above the life of somebody that lives in a country where lions live and and it's very hard not to start veering towards interpreting some of the comments that you see as being racist. Well, that's um, what, that was my next thing I was know, going to say to you, is this uh, is... That's, and that's an that, that's a, a ugly yeah. issue to get into, but I think it's an issue we have to address if we want to do yeah. successful conservation. I, I completely agree, and it was something I was floating in my head just as you were talking, like, how do I bring this up? Because yeah. there's so much of my brain that, and I've said this to you kind of, you know, informally on chats, where I just go, well, it's racism, isn't it? <laughs> it's racism. Yeah. Yeah, we, all know, we all know yeah. what we could call it, but then it is tricky to have that chat, and it is. It, I think the other thing that plays a part in this, as I, th well, I think, maybe actually, having watched the Prince Harry interview last night, mm. he makes a very, you know, he he makes a valid point about the difference between unconscious bias and racism, and the fact that if you are told that it's unconscious bias and it's pointed out to you, if you don't then do something about that, you know, own it, educate yourself, and change. And and I think for many people, they're not they're not consciously thinking these are little black kids and therefore they had it coming. I, you know, I don't think that's what they're thinking, but they are unconsciously biased against it and they're definitely leaning in that direction without meaning to. And I think that that is a problem when you have this kind of divide between countries that have wildlife and countries that don't like ours. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You know. And I think the other thing I think that plays a part in this is, is this disconnect from wildlife. So we see animals as as the as nature or as natural i think is a better word of saying it because like you said when people say well they shouldn't be there the lions were there first or something like that or that that's their natural range for lions and they should just move away and it's like well hang on a minute like you said like you, you know we we are 
on these are these are people that are much more connected to the natural world than we are <laughs> over here in the UK. These people have a way better understanding of their natural environment and what it is to live with the land. They are as have just as much right as any other uh, like animal or, or community or person or ever to be there. And I think that's, yeah. that's what's And have been successfully it's... living alongside yeah. these, these creatures. You know, no, <laughs> I don't know. I look out the window. I wonder where the wolves and bears of the, and the lynx of the UK have, have got to. Um, but I go, but I go down to you know, other areas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like this stuff writes itself. Yeah. Just it? walk it's away, good. walk away. Yeah. Walk away. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah. And, and there is this, there's this also this like, you know, I don't know, mummy knows best kind of mentality where, oh, yeah. where, where people, and you know, we could, we could name names again, um, seem to think that, that somehow simply being British or, you know, Northern European or whatever give, gives you some deep insight into into all this stuff, and you've got the right to go and preach to other people about how to do it. And yeah, that's uh, we can call it all sorts of stuff, right? Neo-colonial. Yeah. I don't know. We call it neo-colonial. In some cases, it's just <laughs> colonial. People aren't that neo, are they? About it, but you know, it's it's yeah. All of these things, I think, are important. And I kind of discuss some of this stuff in the book because yeah. I think it it all goes into the mix of. If you know, if we want a world with predators in them, you know, I'm focusing on predators. We want a world with these animals, you know, in them. But we have to be mature about it, mm. and we have to understand that you know, it's different in different places, and, and solutions may look you know, solutions look a lot different when you're standing next to the problem than when you're five thousand miles away with your own agenda, right? And that's you know, that's stuff that we need to just be grown up about. You know, we are. I, I can't. I might have used this analogy before on 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 here, but you know, we, we we've gone beyond. We we sort of been kids in a sweet shop up to this point with mm. the planet, and to a certain extent, we still are. But we're definitely at the point where we've realised we can't do that anymore. But we really we need to do a lot more maturing, and we need to do it a lot faster. And and yeah, that that yeah. that means understanding more and empathizing more and actually not just knowing more but but really feeling and understanding more about how different people around the world live and and taking that on board I think. Yeah, and I and before I ask you because I want to relate it back to the UK about what we can learn from this kind of stuff but before I do that when we when we talk about like an impact in conservation there might be some listeners now going like what well, how does this how does this understand in this relationship with people and living alongside animals how does that actually impact active conservation work? I guess the sim- I mean you know at a very simple level like you know let's imagine we we've got an area somewhere I mean Namibia would yeah. be would be an example and you know the Namibians are perfectly capable of of conserving <laughs> conserving this you know they've done a rather good job of it yeah, actually they're, actually they've um, done very well you know, <laughs> but but we you know we the the sort of I, overall I think many I mean we're, we're looking you know, specifically at southern Africa but there's loads of other places around the world where the fauna particularly more than the flora but you know the natural habitat as well is sort of seen as an international heritage mm. i think and i think that's reasonable i think that's that's fair for people to do that and it's right perhaps that people do that and and it's great that people want to be involved in making sure that that's there for future generations i guess that's what everybody wants but what you can't do is turn around to sort of countries like namibia and botswana and zambia and Zimbabwe and Brazil and, and other mm. countries and, and sort of say you can't do that. You know, that's not that's not going to work. What you need to do is to understand what's going on and to understand the problems. If you want to help, and if your help is welcome, which it may not be, yeah. right? <laughs> but if, if you want to help and, 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 and your help is welcome, then you need to be listening rather than talking. Mm. And I think that's that's the big message here, really. Um, you know, listen and understand what's going on. And and try to try to realise that 
you can't just ride in somewhere and assume that you know your model works. I mean, just down the road from me is a fantastic little nature reserve. It's run by the Gloss Wildlife Trust. A wonderful place to go and watch birds. You'd love it. Um, you know, <laughs> and it's <laughs> there's egress down at the moment. And, and you know, I go and wander around there with my kids and stuff. And there's farming uh, on the outside, but there's a big fence around it, and there's a car park, and there are paths that very much regulate where people go, and there's rights of way and stuff. And you know, it's a nature reserve, and and everyone's very respectful about that. And it's like a little island in amongst basically some fairly barren farmland. And roads and, you know, petrol stations and mm. stuff. And we look at that and go, well, this is marvellous. You know, this is the way to go. And, and you know, that doesn't translate. That, that form of sort of conservation that, that we tend to do here, which is small scale, very rarely landscape focused, you know, usually based around people coming to visit for 20 minutes and seeing something cool and then going out through the visitor centre. You know, that type of, that's not, that's not going to fit. Mm. And, yeah, it's that, it's that sense, I think, of just realising that maybe... You know, we don't know best. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe what we need to do is listen. And, 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 and it's always, there's that fantastic paper that came out a few years ago looking at sort of conservation efforts for megafauna, like big stuff, mm. the stuff people generally care about, rightly or wrongly. Um, and you look through the top 10, and yeah, there's a lot of Southern African nations there, um, you know, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, all these, all these countries. And then, and then you look through the top 20, and there's loads of others, and, you know, Brazil and Mexico and Canada's in the top 10, I think, as well. And Bhutan is in there and stuff. And you keep going down. Well, where's Britain? Um, And I believe Britain is 125th or something thereabouts. Uh, It is not, you know, we're not even respectable mid-table, right? We're quite near the bottom. We're very near the bottom. And and you just think, well, hang on a minute. What are we, why why do we have organisations in this country going down and yeah. and 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 preaching and 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 primarily actually it's because you know their money and donations are there and then you go down and you're waving money around and you know developing world countries like everyone needs resources and stuff and and so begins sometimes a quite toxic relationship and i think that's you know that's something that needs to be stopped you know i mentioned earlier i'm just in the early sort of phases of, of talking to some people in zimbabwe who are looking at at sort of, um, and they're, you know, they're based in Zimbabwe and they're looking to develop, they, they, they want to develop some citizen science approaches, mm. which is why they're chatting to me, but they're, they're looking to develop a sort of corridor between a national park and another one. It's all a big, it's all a big project, right? But, but the really crucial thing about it is that they, they, this land has communities on it and they want to develop a bit of tourism down there, but they're really keen to develop ways that the people there can develop, that they can build schools and hospitals and have better transport links to the, the main town and all of that stuff, which all costs money. But they want, they want that money to come you know, from, from the surroundings and the environment, not from donors flying in and giving out cash and changing their mind yeah. left, right and centre and dictating what happens. Not even, I mean, tourism will be, will be a part of it, but not, not relying on it because in a sense, that's a form of, you know, it's foreign donation coming in. You know, how can they do things based on the habitat mm. and, and the area around them. You know, and build right, systems, how, essentially. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, and, and, and come up with, with sustainable ways to, to do this within the environment. And you know, that, that sort of approach is, is very unglamorous, very long-term, foregrounds people and development. And those three things together are not particularly attractive for a big poster on you know, the underground asking to give money for a a charity that's doing conservation. You want to do that, you get a big picture of a lion or an elephant or a tiger or one of the charismatic species, one of those three generally, um, <laughs> something or a giraffe. Yeah. And 
you know, come out with some shock horror statistic about how there's, you know, there used to be this many and now there's this many and they're going to be extinct in five years. I mean, I've, I've lost count of when Rhino are going to go extinct, I think, 2015, <laughs> 2020, they're still there, right? And, and that's, what, that's what generates it. And you, you get this industry almost mm. around it. It's focused on the animal. It's focused on entirely the wrong species, usually, if you really want to do some proper conservation. And it's not really focused on any end point other than shroud waving and shock horror kind of statistics. If you go up there and go, wow, we need a bit of pump priming to set up a fish farm refrigeration unit to help this community to do this. Yeah, by the time you got to the end of the story, people aren't giving you money and they don't understand it. (laughs) Yeah. And if they are, they don't understand that it's conservation because they don't get that that then prevents people from overfishing the local river, which then also prevents people from snaring because they got an alternative source of protein because that's what I'd do if I was... Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you've got to feed your family, what are you going to do? You're going to use the resources around you, right? But if those, you know, so, and then, and then obviously you don't want to be chopping down trees and stuff, so you want to get pipeline, you know. All of this stuff is all linked in, but mm. you're never going to get... And then you go, oh, brilliant. And if you give us a pound, yeah, you'll see some results in like five years. Yay. <laughs> that's not what people want. They want, they want to save you know, to save the lion or to save the elephant. And that's a very simple and easy message to sell, but it's not, not a message that actually really resonates with, with anyone on the ground and, and, and will achieve any real conservation goals. And, and, and people will point to small you know, success stories and say, I'm wrong, and they'd be entirely right. Of course, there's some success stories. If you raise that much money, you, you'd hope there'd be some. But you know, is that the way forward? Yeah, who cares where we are in three years' time? Where where are we going to be in thirty years' time? In fifty years' time? Mm. You know, that's when we need these long-term, thought-through, very unsexy, um, <laughs> very sort of difficult to get money for, and no one's really you know, people are already bored listening to me blathering on about it. You know, that's that's where we are with it. So that that they are the big challenges. I always said, if there's one thing you can do, is you can push out the sexy from conservation. Yeah, you're very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> just exuding it from every pool. Yeah. The fine right. So if you could if you could bullet point one lesson or one thing or one takeaway that the the UK could have from not just this topic, this whole topic of living with predators, what could we what is the one thing you'd say you'd hope that we would learn? That it can be done. Um <laughs> because because if we, you know, if, if people are talking about getting um, getting wolves and lynx in and all this stuff, and again, you know, as soon as you say it, everyone's going, "Oh, it's a terrible idea! It's the greatest idea!" Yeah. I mean, maybe it's neither. Maybe it's <laughs> neither a terrible idea or the greatest idea. Maybe you know, nor the greatest idea. Maybe, maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Mm. Um, you know, but but if 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 we decide to go down that road, you know, and introduce a lynx to a forest or something, um, yeah, you know what, it can be done. We can do it because people are doing it. But we have to bear in mind that there may well be costs. And when a sheep farmer in the local area expresses fear about their livestock being taken by a predator, you know, lambs being taken, it's not enough to just wave your hand and say, oh, it's statistically very unlikely. You need to listen to people's concerns. You need to accept that actually they're valid concerns. If they're not valid concerns, if there's no chance of that happening, then you need to present people evidence that shows that, but you need to listen to them and you need to accept that it's there. And you need to just realize that, you know, maybe waving a checkbook around isn't always the, the way forward either. You know, oh, we'll compensate. You see this all the time. We'll just pay them off. It's like, whoa, yeah. hang on a minute. Yeah, it's not really. Like, you've fundamentally misunderstood the relationship that many people have with their livestock, first of all. And secondly, like there's, there's more to, someone's, you're, you're out on some mountain farm, you know, hillside farm mm. somewhere. 
you have you have locally adapted livestock that do really well in your fields in your area that you know you your I mean unfortunately with foot and mouth maybe not your father and grandfather or whatever or your grandmother and mother for that matter right have bred for that area yeah if if you start losing them left right and center it's not enough for someone to come in and go right how heavy was it oh yeah that will butcher out to this so that's its market weight whoa you know yeah yeah it means <laughs> and, and more it's, means more it's not right? listening i think to people's concerns and if people say i am worried mm. well, i will walk on a hill and there'll be a pack of wolves and i'll get hunted down and eaten by them don't laugh at them that's that's a concern right it's ex- you know actually when you start talking to people you go listen those types of wolf predatory attacks they they're not that's not how wolves are. And, and you know, it's very limited uh, attacks. And then they'll go, yeah, but they don't, they do exist, don't they? And people will go, oh, no, 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 that's not true. Right? <laughs> they do exist, right? And they have done. And there's lots of, of issues of wolves, particularly historically, in you know, places like Russia and parts of France were, were particularly, yeah, but you need to be upfront about it. We need to be honest about, about those things and, and just realize that people's concerns are valid. Even if we think they're invalid, their concerns to them are valid. And if you don't address those concerns, they will always remain as an obstacle to what you want to do. And just waving your hands and waving a checkbook isn't going to get rid of that. Yeah, And that... you're going to end up, I mean, then what will happen if, if you introduce animals to areas where they're not wanted and you've not listened to people's concerns? Guess what? Those animals won't make it. They'll mysteriously disappear. You know, they will. Yep. No, we're already seeing it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they, they will. There's right? already things um, happening. <laughs> yeah, like beavers. You know, some of these these sort of gorilla yeah. beaver introductions that yep. have gone on, and people people go, oh, you know, some, oh, this beaver's been dead. It's been shot. You know, yeah. I mean, maybe 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 someone didn't listen to someone's concern, and they've taken they've taken matters into their own hands. Yeah. Is that right? No. Is it right you didn't listen to their concerns and, and talk it through and get to a point rather than just riding roughshod over mm-hmm. them? No. You know, so, and, and that's a beaver for Christ's sake. Right? Yeah, imagine when it's more, <laughs> this is what I mean. This is what I've spoken with Maxi about this is when, you know. Imagine if someone did actually introduce a pack of wolves onto, you know. Onto some... Hamster Teeth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, would anyone would. notice? Do you know what? I yeah. would. <laughs> They'd be down the tube, wouldn't they? Before, I'd you know? be all right. I've got a pack of dogs around me already. They'd be going down to Green Park. It's much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> don't let anyone in Hampstead hear you say that um, right last question very quickly thank you so much for all that I'm buzzing about your book but my last question to you is if you could pass on one thing for people to try or to get involved with to connect with the natural world what would you pass on oh you know what okay I've got one thing um, on. well there's two things really uh, <laughs> no there's I, I'll keep to one thing find your inner child turn over stones and logs yes a hundred percent that <laughs> Right, you, you can look around for birds, and there's obvious you stuff. Right? Go, go for a walk and look around for birds. And yeah. yeah, you can do all that. But but that's to... the big stuff. You want to really, you know, just just get that. And some of the stuff you'll recognise, and some of the stuff you won't, and that's okay. Don't get hung up too much initially on on. I, you know, I mean, insects are horribly diverse. That's an awful lot of stuff. Out. I mean, I've really never are. heard someone describe it as horribly diverse. I mean, there's so many of them. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, you look at some of these things, and, you, and someone will go, oh, "What's that?" And I'll go, "It's well, I can tell you, it's a bee, and I'm yep. pretty mm-hmm. sure it's in this group of bees, so I'm safe with that. And it might even be in this genus, actually, because it looks pretty similar to them. But I'm not 100 percent sure. And they go, "Oh, how many are in there?" And you go, "Oh, there's 120 of them in, you know." And it's like you can tell them apart by dissecting their genitals. So you know, there's an awful lot of diversity out there. Don't don't let that scare you. The first thing to do is just to appreciate and, and you know get down there and smell smell the mold, right? Smell, you know, get really just 
yeah, turn over logs, turn over stones, see what's under there. Yeah, just just discover that um, as you're as you're taking a walk, and you know, obviously you'll be looking for birds. Yeah, I know that, right? But, no, you know, as you no, <laughs> as you're doing that, I won't. <laughs> I I'm a, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'm a log lifter. <laughs> yeah, that sounds all right in this Fine. context. Okay, good. Other contexts, not so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited, Pleasure. genuinely. Again, I don't want to sound like a chat show host, but I'm genuinely very excited to read your book. I've been following the process. I will, I will send you a copy when I get, when I get my f- limited number of free author copies. I, I will send Is you this one. the one you were finishing in Namibia? Uh, it may have been. Do you remember uh, at Anduri Lodge, you had to like do a final read of it or final edit of a chapter wasn't it oh crap yeah it was wasn't it yeah yeah no it was that yeah such a busy yeah. man ladies and gentlemen adam hart is a busy man <laughs> <laughs> um but no thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a pleasure to chat and i cannot wait to read pleasure thank you thanks again for listening everyone if you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's into the wild episode then you can do so on social media their tags are in the write-up of this episode also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at IntoTheWildPod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.